0: wonderful song to sing after a tough year has come to an end. But don't worry, everything's better now, right? (laughs) Right? 2021, that's what everybody's been looking forward to. Right? Everybody was saying, just can't wait for this year to be over. I just can't wait for 2020 to be done. Well, it's done. We made it. Every one of our problems are gone. If only it worked that way, right? (laughs) only work that way we've been looking forward to this for a while but we always want to start fresh don't we we want to start new when we do our special diet plan for this coming year don't we want to start at peak physical condition but we don't we don't ever start from our peak physical condition to start that diet to start that workout or whatever it doesn't work that way. All the bad choices we made in 2020, it carries over from December 31st to January 1st. I don't know if you realize that. It does. Like Whether it's our finances, right? We want to start making better financial decisions. Don't you wish you could just start maybe that debt from scratch? Like, start from zero. Maybe all that, all that debt is wiped away, and then we'll start from zero and work our way that way. That would be nice as well. But we're going to take a look this month, and we're going to be looking at a new series entitled New Year, New Heart. And we want to look at this series this entire month and look at a variety of areas, um, because we need to understand that everything always starts in our heart, especially with the physical things. Sometimes it's hard to see that, but I didn't get this dad bod just by eating lots of Mountain Dew and drinking Mountain Dew and eating lots of pizza. Now, that's part of it. But the other part of it was some of my heart decisions of choosing to be lazy or choosing to eat all the pizza that's available because of my gluttonous heart of wanting it all because it tastes so good. So there's really some spiritual things going on in my heart, even with some outwards decisions that I'm making. Same thing goes with our finances. We're going to be looking at our, the financial side of things next week. But we need to understand that our finances, they are spiritual. Jesus talks a lot about money in the New Testament. We find a lot of scriptures that talk about tithing, that talk about giving, that talk about uh, just being a good steward of what you've been given. And so there's a lot that God has to say even about our money. We're going to be looking later about Um, Our physical side, we're going to be looking uh, at, uh, Pastor Zach's going to close us in the message, uh, looking at the church. And that's an easier one for us to see, about how the church is spiritual. So how you think about the church, how you interact with the church and talk about it and serve in the church, it is a spiritual thing that's going on. So as we look at this first week to kind of kick us off, to help us understand all the rest of the weeks that we're going to be looking at, and I forgot to mention relationships. Pastor Kyle's going to hit two weeks uh, this month as well, and so he's going to be looking at relationships later, and that's spiritual too, isn't it? Whether you are kind and loving in your relationships, that's a spiritual thing, and it affects the relationships around you. But it all begins in the heart. And that's where we're going to be this morning in Psalm 51. And I want to encourage you just to start thinking about how this uh, interacts with you personally. As we're looking at a new spiritual heart, you need to look at you, okay? We're always tempted to look at the person maybe down the row, saying, oh, good, I'm glad they're here to hear this. You might be thinking of the person who's home. You're saying, well, they're not here. They should have been here to hear this one. But you need to look at your own spiritual heart. And I want you to even take time right now. I want you to take a few moments to write on your notes that one sin, that, that one maybe vice that you have that has really maybe gotten a hold of you. Maybe these last few weeks, maybe this entire last year. What is that one thing that you know you need to work on? That one area of sin in your life that you know you need to t- take care of, that you need to be rid of because it just keeps bogging you down. Take a moment, write that down on your notes. Don't avoid putting down the first thing you think of. Because oftentimes, God brings it to mind for a reason. <laughs> that first thing we want to think of. And I also don't want you to put down the easiest one that you can think of. You know, I've been pastoring for quite a while and talking with lots of teens about, you know, our sin. We, we bring up things, what do you want to work on, all that. It comes out a lot. And the one that we generally go to is patience, right? Because everyone needs to work on patience. So that's the one that I'm willing to say out loud because I know I won't be ridiculed because I know everyone else needs to work on patience too. And it's kind of the easiest one to—now, if that's a hard one for you, and you, that's something you really are working on, great, put it down. But I don't want you to put it down just because you know that's the easiest one to put down. That's the one that brings maybe the least amount of shame in your life. And so I'll put it down just in case somebody looks over at my paper and they see patience. They'll be like, they won't be as hard on me. I want you to put down something that's really got a hold of your life. Something that you see in your heart that you say, I need to change this. Because as we look at Psalm 51, we get the context of it. What a beautiful thing. Not every psalm gives us the perfect context, the exact context of what's going on. But we do have that one here from Psalm 51. We have David. David, it says it right there. It says, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So we have adultery that has just taken place. What happened was there was actually quite a few sins that led up to this. David should have been out to battle with his soldiers, but he wasn't. So he stayed home. And he went to the rooftop, which he know he shouldn't have done, because he could see maybe some women bathing up on the rooftop, which is what happened. And then he saw Bathsheba, and he lusted after her, and then he devised a plan to have her to come over and committed adultery. And then to cover it up, he ended up committing murder against uh, her husband. With all of that, he still wasn't broken. It wasn't until Nathan came to him, told him the story of a rich man he stole from a poor man. And he said, what should be done to this rich guy? And he says, oh, he should be murdered. We should kill him. That's outrageous. I can't believe somebody would do that. And that's when Nathan turned and said, you are that man. That's you. And that's when he was broken. It was when he was confronted on his sin. it wasn't to that point till he realized, oh, wow, I am deserving of death. And that's when we come to verse 1 of Psalm 51. This is David's prayer to God. Let's read together verses 1 through 12, and then we'll pray. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we do pray that you would ask us to We want you to search our hearts. Reveal to us a a sin in our life that needs to be rid of. That needs to be blotted out so that we can start fresh with you. We love fresh starts. We want to start anew. Lord, you must change us and break us of our sin if we're going to be able to do that. If we're going to be able to change anything else about us in our life, Lord, you need to break us of our sin. You need to make us new. You need to make us whiter than snow. I pray that you'll help us to examine our own hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start fresh, there's four steps to start fresh in this coming year. Step one is to know your sin. Now you can quabble with me and we can argue later if you'd like about whether step one should be step two or step two should be step one. But we're going to go with know your sin first here and we'll see why you can maybe make an argument for step two being step one later on. And as we walk through, we're not going to go straight through the passage. We're going to be taking uh, verses here and there that talk about these themes that we see going on in Psalm uh, chapter 51. So you can look at some of these verses and see where we're getting these words from uh, in this passage here. So first we want to look at the nature of our sin. As As we have to know what our sin truly is, we need to understand the nature of it. And there's four words that David uses to talk about when he's talking about his adultery. It's not just that outward sin. He's not just saying, forgive me of adultery. He's using these four words, transgression, iniquity, sin, and evil, to describe what he had done. And he uses these four words because he wants to capture the entirety of what was really going on in his heart. He wanted people to really see the full scope Of his sin, that it wasn't just that one outward act. There was a whole lot more going on in his heart. And so he says the word transgression in verse 1 blot out my transgressions. That word literally means to rebel or to revolt against something. And so he was saying that I rebelled against God. It's not that I did this one wicked thing with this person. It's that my sin was against God. We see that in verse 4 as well. That his sin, any sin, is always committed as a rebellion against God. Every sin. Whether you look at it as just the person you might have sinned against, it's always against God. Even if you sin in your heart and you don't think it was against a, hum- a human person here or somebody in your life, no one else was affected that you can see by your sin, it's always against God. It is always against a rebellion against God's holy standard. If you don't understand that you are sinning against God each and every time, you're not going to understand that you need to be rid of it. When we look at our sin and we think, oh, it's just a mistake— just just a whoops, ah, I messed up again, just slipped up, whatever, and as not a big deal, as not against God at all, then you're not going to see your need to take care of it. You're not going to see the depths of your own sin. He also uses the word iniquity. This is a word that means perverse or twisted. And as the sin that he committed was not only rebelling against God, but it was also taking a good gift of God and twisting it. Switching it up to something that God did not want to take place. Sex within marriage is a sweet gift of God, but David took that sweet gift and he twisted it to say, I'm going to take that and I'm going to do whatever I want that I think it'll make me happy. I think it'll bring me greater satisfaction in doing things my own way twisting god's good gift and think about the sin that you wrote down in your notes i want you to think about how does that twist something good that god has given to you maybe a good gift like rest can be easily be twisted into laziness a good gift of working and working diligently can be twisted into perfectionism Delicious food can be twisted into gluttony. Relationships can be twisted into idolatry. Money can be twisted into greed. Good gifts from God. How is that one sin that's in your life? How are you twisting maybe something that's good that God has given you and you're twisting it so that you can get what you want and that it's about you and your selfish desires? Know your sin. And that word sin is the third word, and that one that we're familiar with most, because that's the word we use most often. We don't often just go around saying, you have transgressed against the Lord. We don't usually use that language, right? We say, you've sinned. And it's a word that means missing the mark, falling short of the glory of God. And it carries with it the connotation, as you see from verse 2, as he says, cleanse me from my sin. We see that it's more than just, again, that outward act. He says, there was lots of sinful tendencies in my heart that led up to that one act of adultery. There was a lot more going on. And he says, I need a cleaning of all of it. Cleanse me from my sin. He doesn't want any of those lustful desires to ever be around in his heart that he would eventually go back to that again. So he says, cleanse me, not just from adultery, but from my greed, from my covetousness. For my lust, for my sexual morality, for my idolatry, for my selfishness, for my pride. All of that, he says, my sin, it is ever before me. And the term evil here also describes the ugliness of his sin. It's like there's nothing pretty about it, there's nothing good, there are no redeeming qualities that I can address in that sin. Well, I deserved it because of, no. There's none of that. It was a wretched, evil, wicked thing that he did. A wicked thing that was in his heart. And one of the major issues I think that we have as uh, Christians is that we don't want to look at how evil our sin really is. Because that's not pleasant. It's not fun to do. We might look at our sin and say, well, it's not as bad as what I heard this other person did. Well, it's not that bad. We might minimize it and just say, well, I just slipped up again. Oh, well, I, well, you know, not a big deal. Everybody does it. Everybody's a sinner. So really, what's the big deal? When we minimize our sin, we minimize our need to wipe it out. We'll say, I can live with it. It's okay. We need to understand how bad our sin is. It's ever before God. Always, he knows what's in our hearts. And for every sin, no matter how big or how little you might think it is, it was a sin that was worth sending Jesus to die for. Every single one of them. Not only do we need to understand how bad our sin is, we also need to know where it comes from, its nature. That it comes from the moment of our birth. Verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, in sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying, from the very beginning, we are in need of the mercy of God. From the very beginning, we are in need of a Savior. I remember many times as a parent, with the, my kids being little, uh, littler, you know, they've taken that walk of shame down the hallway. Do parents do that, right? From the gymnasium, there's whining or complaining or fussing that's happened down there, and you've got to walk them down the hallway, past the wonderful ladies that are sitting in the chairs out there, And I remember just many times this happening, you know, you have them by the hand, you're walking them down, they're fighting all the way, and and then some well-meaning, godly women, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on them, but they would say, oh, are they just tired? Are they just hungry? And I remember many times just saying, no, they're dirty, filthy, rotten, no-good, lousy sinners, and they need Jesus and know that they're rebelling against him, and they're going to find out what it means to rebel against God right now and their parents. And it's like, what? These beautiful little angels? I mean, they know that they're sinners. They know that. But sometimes when you have the grandparent glasses on, I'm sure some of you know, that's like, no, there's no way. But the parents who have taken their kids down that walk of shame, right? You know. You know their kids are sinners. You get it. You get it. But sometimes we're like, yes, even from when they're little, they're sinners, and they need to be pointed to Jesus They need parents who will discipline them, show them that's not right. That sin that you've committed, even as a little one, is against a holy God, and you need Jesus. Parents, keep disciplining your kids. Keep showing them what they're doing is wrong and against God, and keep pointing them to Christ and that there's a merciful, loving God who loves them and has sent Christ to save them. Keep at it. I know it's hard. and I know it's tiring. And it seems like you're doing it over and over again, even for the same sin. But keep at it. Keep showing them their need for Jesus. They're sinners from the very beginning. So that just means those of us who are older than them, we've been doing a lot longer than they have. We have a lot more sin piled up in our lives. And we know how great the mercy of God is. We know how bad that we need our sin Just taken out. We know that our sin needs obliterated. Just done away with. If our sin is really that bad that we've been sinning since we were this high, now that we're this high, we understand that there's a lot of sin there. We know it needs to be taken care of. We are guilty of so much. There's so much mud, dirt, grime in our life that it has to be taken care of. And he uses, again, a variety of words of what needs to be done to our sin account. First, he used the word blot. It needs to be blotted out in verse 1. As if God holds this account of all of our sins, he says that ledger, it needs to be demolished. Blotted out as if it wasn't even there. There's a lot of incriminating evidence in our life. just make it go through the shredder so that it's not there so that God doesn't hold us against hold that against us any longer. And when we seek forgiveness that we're going to get to here in a few moments it is blotted out. And we'll look to that hope here in a few moments. We want nothing more to do with it. Not only do we want that account to be taken care of between us and God, we still feel that residual effect of sin, don't we? Don't you? Like if you sin against somebody else and you, you ask God for forgiveness and you know he forgives you, there's still that, that grime in there, right? You're still like, oh, I know I made things wrong. I, I need to go to them for forgiveness. And even if you do that, they might not forgive you. They should. God commands a believer to forgive one another, but they might say no. and That leaves that residual grossness there. And that's why he uses the words to wash me, clean me. After I've taken care of things with you, Lord, and I seek to take and confess, Lord, get rid of that grime, that maybe that lustful tendencies that I have in my heart that maybe still lingers on, that maybe is tempted to feel guilty again over and over, even though I'm right with God. Lord, wash me of that. Clean me out. That I don't want to have anything lingering in my heart that would lead me to sin again. But even as we've taken care of sin with God, I know it. Sometimes you just think, man, I did it again. This is the 10th time this month or this week even that I have asked for forgiveness for the same sin over and over again. And it just, you're like, Lord, get rid of all of it. He's saying, just clean me out. I don't want to go back to that again. It needs to be obliterated. And when we sin, we should feel that grime at first, right? We should feel that, that, that wickedness that's in us and say, I've sinned against the one that I claim to love the most. How can I do that? Right? You, you feel that when you sin against your spouse or your kids or your best friend. When you sin against them, you're just like, "Ah, oh, how could I do that? I claim to love them so much, yet I'm sinning. It, it just doesn't feel great, and it shouldn't. Sinning against God should make you feel bad. There should be guilt that comes along with that sin because you've just sinned against the one who sent Jesus to die for that sin. If you don't mind sinning, if it's not a big deal to you, then we might need to talk about your relationship with God. Sin should feel terrible. We should be overwhelmed with guilt of our sin but then freed once we have confessed and made things right. It's clear that David understood this. We don't believe that we're better than anyone as Christians. Actually, we believe that we're worse. (laughs) We know that we are the chief most sinners, don't we? But we have a wonderful and merciful God. So step two is know your God. I want us to start with the depths of our sin and understand how pervasive it is in our life and our needing to get rid of it. So that when we talk here about who our God is, that we start on our way to rejoicing here. <laughs> start, start to rejoice, but there's still that weight of who our God is. Know that he is mercifully loving. David starts here as he has been confronted on his sins Just think about this most humble way of approaching God. He says, have mercy on me. When you are a sinner approaching a holy God, ooh, may those be the first few words out of your mouth. (laughs) Lord, have mercy on me. When you're about to confess your sin, come with humility. Pastor Kyle mentioned last week that balance, right, that we're trying to live in. David here is, is acknowledging, he's like, I do not deserve to be able to approach the throne of God. I don't, my sin is awful. But on the other hand, he's saying, I have no other choice than to approach the throne, throne of God. I don't deserve it at all, but yet I have to. I have to come before God, and it's going to have to be done humbly. And so he says, have mercy according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He pleased with God. Just as Jesus looked at uh, that one man who was going and approaching God, he couldn't even lift his, head, lift, lift his head to heaven. His head was bowed and he says, forgive me for I am a sinner. We need to come with that conviction when you're confessing your sin. Come with that level of weight of your sin before the throne of God. And it gets me to thinking, when was the last time I prayed with that conviction? That I had that weight of sin really hovering over me, on top of me, to where I couldn't even lift my head and just said, Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me. Maybe you ask that question too of yourself. <laughs> thinking, when's the last time I truly sought forgiveness? Maybe not one of those fly-by prayers of, uh, I probably have sinned sometime this last month. Lord, forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Not one of those, but one of those like the, where your sin, even as David says, it's ever before me in verse 3. It's ever, I know what it is. I know my sin. And therefore, I know that I need the mercy of God. Secondly, we know that God is a rightful judge. As David is turning to a loving, merciful God, he also turns to the one that he knows that will judge righteously and rightfully. And while we must go to the person that we have offended and seek forgiveness, we must always go to God because it's against him. His holy standard, he set up what is right and what is wrong. And as we commit sins against that holy standard, we're committing sins against God. Look at verse 4. It says, against you and you only have I sinned. He knows his sin is against God as God is the one who is able to justify God is the one who is going to commit this judgment upon David. And will God God judge as he is blameless? Or God will judge him as being guilty? And so as God is the rightful judge, he he takes our sins and he breaks us. Look at verse 8. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He is thankful that God has broken him of his sin. That he is aware of his sin. And that God has judged him on his sin so that he knows that what he did was wrong. As hard as it is for Nathan to confront him in his sin, he knows it was the right thing to do. He knows he was glad of it, <laughs> that his bones were broken. Because so otherwise he was going to go by not thinking a big deal. it was a big deal at all. Be thankful if anybody confronts you in your sin. And shows you and breaks you so that you might be right with God. One of the other things David realizes is that God had the right to take away the Holy Spirit? Look down at um, was it verse eleven? He says, "And take, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me." Now, back in the the Old Testament, David saw God do that to Saul. Right? Saul was living for the Lord, but then he offered this unauthorized sacrifice. Then when David was anointed, God removed the Holy Spirit from Saul and actually gave a spirit to torment him. David saw this firsthand. David played for Saul. Saul tried to kill him. He was actually attacking the enemies of Israel for Saul on his behalf, going out and fighting the battles for Israel. And Saul was still out trying to kill him. Saul eventually took his own life on the battlefield. David saw what happened to him. He's like, God, do not let that happen to me. I saw the wickedness in Saul. I saw what he went through, how he acted, how he was just rebelling against you. He's like, I do not want that to be me. Lord, don't take away your Holy Spirit. Living in the New Testament times, Jesus promises to give us the Holy Spirit and that it's for keeps. (laughs) Aren't you praising the Lord for that? That every time you sin, you're not asking the question, is God going to take away this Holy Spirit? Is God, am I saved today or not? That you're trying to balance your good works with your bad works. You don't have to worry about that at all as God has promised that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That he will never leave you or forsake you. Aren't you rejoicing that that is not your prayer? It's like, man, Lord, please don't take away the Holy Spirit. But there is a truth that's in there for us. That when we sin, don't you feel that separation? Don't you feel that, that, that hindrance in your right relationship with God? Don't you feel that like, like, I don't see what you're doing in my life, God. Are you even there? Have you ever asked that question of maybe feeling that God is distant? Look to your own heart. It's not God. <laughs> Look to your own heart. What sin might be in there where maybe you are feeling that, that presence of the Lord that you feel like it's not there? Even though God's with you, maybe you don't feel that. And then we rejoice also knowing that God is a capable restorer. David doesn't turn to idols. After he's sinned and confronted on it, we don't even see him turning to Nathan and confessing his sin to him right here. We don't see him turning to Bathsheba and seeking forgiveness from her. I imagine that he did, knowing the depth of his sin and how he's confessing here in Psalm 51. I'd imagine that he did. But we don't see that recorded, and why not? Because it's most important for us to know that our sin, being before God, we need him to restore us. As much as Bathsheba might be able to forgive David, or Nathan, or the people of Israel, grant forgiveness to David, it is only God who can fully and truly restore you and give eternal life. It's only God. Only God can bring a fullness of joy. When confronted in sin, we feel low, we feel no good. That thing that we turn to to say, oh, this will bring me happiness— Oh, this will bring me a joy and satisfaction i'll turn to this sin because i don't feel like i'm getting the joy that i'm i'm deserving over here so i'm gonna go to this sin and it'll be fine i'll i'll find my happiness there and we find it only brings us grief and sadness and despair and guilt he's reminding us that god is the only one who can truly restore who can fully restore your joy He appeals to God, he says, purge me with hyssop. He says, at the end result of all of this, he said, you will make me whiter than snow. And what is whiter than snow? (laughs) As we have this beautiful blanket of snow out there. God knew that I was going to be preaching this passage this morning, did he not? So maybe that snow is out there, maybe as a picture for us on our drive home today to remind us of this wonderful truth that not only is god able to fully and completely restore us and forgive us but you look at the mud and the brown that the snow is covering and you look out and you have to look at how beautiful it is don't lose sight of the forgiveness and cleansing that comes to you that it is beautiful it is a beautiful thing if anybody comes up to you and says How can you rejoice in days like this? How can you have joy in times such as these with a a pandemic and and all that's going on in our world? How, How are you the way that you are? You don't respond with, well, because I'm awesome. You look at a passage like this and you say, because he has washed me, because he has cleansed me. If there's anything beautiful that you see in me, It's not because I am wonderful and good. It is because God has made me whiter than snow. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. Believer in Christ, you are beautiful. Isn't that good to know? God sees you as beautiful as you have been cleansed of your sin. So we must know our sin, how bad it is. We must know our God who loves us and merciful. And then we must confess. And if you're here and you've never done this before, you don't have this right relationship with God. You're like, beauty, what are you talking about? This is for you. Know how bad your sin is. Know who this God is. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with him right now. But know who this God is, who is right to judge, who is capable of restoring you. No matter how dirty and filthy you are, he's capable of it and desires to do that. Confess your sin and turn to him. And you can have these wonderful benefits of confessing your sin. There's four benefits that we find here in this passage. Again, we've already spoken at length about this, but confess for your cleansing. If you turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, you will be cleansed. You will be forgiven and you will be saved. When you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness doesn't matter how dirty or filthy you are. God is capable of forgiving you. Confess for your joy. What a joy it is. And this is a tough one for us who have proud hearts, right? How can it be joyful to admit that you're wrong, that you sinned? It is a difficult thing to seek forgiveness of somebody else because we have to admit that we did something wrong. But it's difficult, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be joy. It doesn't mean that there won't be joy at the end of it if you confess your sin. Even in these past few weeks, I have had the opportunity of asking forgiveness of my children. It's a tough thing to do when you're supposed to be the one who sets the example. But when you know you've sinned against them, and they know it, it's like, Ooh. But once you confess, you can have joy and move on. It's wonderful. And you have that restored relationship. And there's so much more joy in knowing that we're on the right terms with one another and with God. Same thing is true. As you sin against God, there's joy when you confess it to him. So confess your sin. And then we have this renewed heart. When you confess, this is the thrust of our series for this month. We want to start fresh. We want to start new. This last year has been tiring has it not it's been exhausting physically yes exhausting but i think most importantly it's been spiritually exhausting striving to keep up with people as you're not able to see them every week on a sunday it's exhausting to to keep tr- track of people it's been exhausting with even the deaths of loved ones it's been hard and difficult we say in verse 12 lord restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, renew our hearts. Renew us. Keep us fresh. It's been spiritually taxing this past year. And I'm guessing it's going to be spiritually taxing this year. We had a a friend up in Des Moines who wrote an article that said, what if 2021 is worse than 2020? Have you thought about that? Have you prepared your heart for that? It could be. Sure, we don't know what God has planned for this year. So are you ready for that? Are you spiritually ready to endure, to persevere, and overcome in all the things that God is going to bring to us this year? We have to start with a new heart today. We have to confess our sin today. We can't have sin lingering on in our hearts. We have to relieve ourselves of this sin. God's burden is light. Free yourself from sin. Put your faith and trust in God alone. And we confess for a restored relationship as well. Remember that distance that we feel. Our sin separates us from God, right? That distance. We've been talking about this a lot the last two months. I hope you've picked up on it. Looking at Genesis, we see that introduction. You don't get far into Genesis without finding sin, right? Chapter three, it happens. Sin, the separation, the break there. We see all the trouble that comes along with it. We see the flood happening. We see God breaking up the languages at the Tower of Babel. All these things, w- wickedness that's there, all that break. And we see that God then, in December, we then switch from Genesis to look at the coming of Jesus. What a perfect transition! that break, that, that uh, relationship that's broken and torn away, that gap that is there, and then Jesus comes, <laughs> right? Jesus comes to restore that relationship. Jesus comes to bridge that gap, and through him, confess your sins, turn to Jesus, and you can have that relationship restored. All that distance that you're feeling, that loneliness that you might be feeling, Maybe it's because you don't have a relationship with God. You're like, what is it? I'm around all these people, yet I still feel lonely. Turn to Jesus. He can restore your relationship with him right now. Confess your sin right now. And for you Christians out there, every time you sin, again, it doesn't break your relationship with God. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you anymore. But it does grieve him. It does make you feel like you're distant from him. feel broken. Feels hard and difficult. So confess. I want to give you a few moments right now that sin that you wrote down on your paper, or maybe something that's come up in your mind throughout our talk this morning. Take a few moments right now, and then we'll close it out with a good bit of hope. So take a few moments to think and confess your sin before God. Why would we wait? Psalm 32, 1. If you have confessed your sin and maybe you need more time, don't listen to me any longer. If you need more time with God, you you continue to pray. He says, Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Praise the Lord for that. If you've confessed your sin, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, your sin is covered, you're saved. Praise the Lord. We'd love to hear about that. Love to talk with you afterwards. Maybe you're a believer and you confess some sin this morning. Just know that God forgives and cleans perfectly and beautifully. Rejoice in that. And then as we close out with some hope, see the fruit. This is wonderful. I love this. Through the wickedness of his sin, he sees how awful it is. Then he sees how great God is and how mercifully loving. is able to wash away and cleanse when you confess and you get your joy back. Then he says, now see the fruit. Here's what I'm going to do now, that my sin is forgiven. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Confession leads others to confess. And David, now that he's back in a right relationship with God, he's like, I want to go tell everybody about it. He says, I'm going to point out people and their sin. they you're like, that sounds a bit harsh. He's like, it's not harsh at all, because he realizes and understands all this sin that he had in his life as being forgiven. He has fully experienced the mercy and love of God. And he says, hey, you're a sinner. I want you to experience this too. I, I want, hey, I've seen. I know your sin. We're going to talk about it. We're going to deal with it, not because I'm better than you, but because I have experienced the mercy and forgiveness of God, and I want you to experience it too. And that's a beautiful thing. Should we let each other as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, if we know of sin in their life, should we just let each other go on as if it's not a big deal? If we've experienced that mercy and forgiveness, do you not want them to experience that? Do you want your brother and sister in Christ to go on and living in sin? And hindering the relationship with God? No. That's why church discipline is such a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's hard, yes. It's difficult to work through that, absolutely. It's not fun. But it's necessary for your joy, for my joy. If I'm in sin, people need to confront me on it. Help me to turn from my wickedness so that I can experience this mercy and grace of God. I need that. You need that. And how beautiful it is. We've had this happen many times in our church. Not a lot, but many times where you have seen a broken believer get up front and confess their sin to the membership of this church. Have you been there for those? Is it not beautiful? Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. But is it not beautiful? Is there not rejoicing that comes after that? knowing that a sinner is made right with God. We don't desire it for it it to get to that point, but we want to catch each other at the instant and say, hey, you need to turn to God. That's sinful. Turn to God. He's merciful and loving. He'll forgive you. Turn to him. It's a beautiful thing. And it leads not just for us to start telling as we have been forgiven, but it leads them to Praise. When sin lingers on in your hearts, you will find the world a more dim place to live. You will lean towards anger. You're going to default to complaining. You'll become more skeptical of people, less gracious. But when that dark cloud of sin is removed, you will find your praise. When we sing here at church, we're not going to be focused on whether it was my favorite song or not. Believe it or not, we did a song this morning— it wasn't my ultimate favorite. We don't only do songs that are my favorite. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we no, it's not. But guess what? I can praise the Lord cuz there's truth up there on those lyrics. There's truth that brings my heart to praise. That I'm in my sin, I'm not just looking at me me me. Does this song make me happy? Do I really like this song? If there's truth up there, there's there's reason to praise. And we did do a song that I really love, too. I'm not going to tell you which one's which. We need song I really love. But again, it's not about me. <laughs> These songs are not about whether I like it or not. Do they praise the Lord? Do they draw me to worship? When my sin is, is gone, when I have been cleansed, I'm not looking at me and whether I'm happy anymore. I'm looking at God and say, how can I praise and worship you? He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Now that my sin is removed, let me stand back. I'm going to be praising the Lord. My hand might even be lifted up a little bit, and it's okay. because so I'm praising the Lord. Confession leads to true change. For you will not delight in sacrifice, verse 16, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Isn't that what we want? Lasting change? Not this fake stuff that, you know, like, well, I guess I should ask for forgiveness because I'm forced to. It's not going to be a magical phrase that you can string together that will magically make everything better. What does God want? He wants a broken heart. He's not wanting you to perform deeds to accomplish some sort of penitence. He's not saying, you just pray this, and then it'll be better. Just say this a number of times, and then it'll be fine. He doesn't say, just go to church, and then that takes care of your sin. Or read your Bible enough, or give enough. Then your sin will be taken care of. No, he says, break your heart. (laughs) Be broken. Humbly come before me and seek forgiveness. It's about treasuring God above everything. Have a broken heart. Confess your sin. It'll lead you to true and lasting change. Then our confession leads to prayer for others, verse 18 and 19. It says, do good to Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. He says, as he's now taking care of sin, he's looked inwardly, looks at what he needs to do. Then he turns to God and says, do good to them. Again, David has seen it. We talked even this morning in Sunday school with our teenagers about how the sin of one person, Achan, can cause a lot of destruction to others. He knows. He knows the stories. He's seen it happen. He says, Lord, may my sin not cause death upon your people. May it not do good to your people. Do good to Zion. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. He's looking now to others. He says, don't let my sin negatively affect them. Once we confess, you start praying for others. That they might confess. That God would do good for others. We're more outward focused on how God can be glorified in their lives. He's praying for them. He's praying that his sin, again, wouldn't affect them negatively. But then once he's done all that, once he's prayed for the people, he's prayed for his own heart, then he says, then, once sin is fully taken care of, he says, then you'll delight in the right sacrifices. Then he says, let's start worshiping. Do the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, all of it. We're going to bring our worship to God. Then we let the people praise. That true worship will happen when we have been made right with God. If you think your worship has lost its luster. If you think that maybe these sermons are going on way too long. Maybe the songs just aren't as good as they should be. Maybe your time in the word is just, ah, just kind of laying flat. I'm not getting anything out of it. Maybe you're not having time in the word. Let me encourage you to not blame the preacher first. Maybe not blame the song leader or maybe your work schedule or anything like that. But look to your heart. Look to your heart first. Say, Lord, what is there in here that's making my worship difficult? That's making it hard that I'm finding just all these bad things. Like, I'm complaining a lot. I'm arguing a lot. just a lot of anger that's going around. It's like, look in your own heart first. Know your sin. Know your God. Then confess. And then see the beautiful fruit that will come from it. Let's pray. Lord, you are merciful. We humbly come before you right now, knowing that we don't deserve to come before you. But also knowing that because of the work of Jesus Christ, you want us to come before you. And you've provided a way for us to come before you. So we confess. Individually, we confess our sin to you. But even as a collective whole, Lord, as a church, we want to come before you and tell you, confess to you that we haven't done everything right. There's sin in our hearts. Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you turn our hearts to you? And then our church, even as a whole, that we might not be focused just on what we want to do, but about bringing our praise and our worship to you, fully confessed, ready to seek forgiveness from you. And Lord, individually, if there's somebody that we need to go to to seek forgiveness, may you impress upon our hearts. If there's somebody who doesn't know you today, Lord, change their heart, turn them from their sin turn them to Christ, and may we hear about it, Lord. May we hear about the fruit that comes from this confession, that we might rejoice together with you, and that we might give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.